113 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Eric Deutsch, co-host of the Flash Gordon Minute and Escape from New York Minute. Welcome back to the show, Eric. Thank you. Good to be back again. Yeah, yeah. We've been having a lot of fun this week, and we have another three days to discuss the preliminary aspects of this escape. Minute 113 starts with Cedric giving instructions to Colin and goes all the way to Mac finishing his his trolley ride. So as we were discussing yesterday, Danny jumped out of, of, of the tunnel. He did to try to get some air from the the small little little space by the window, which hopefully not alerting the, the guards that there's actually lights on at this time. And then at the same time, we, we go back to the the mouth of the trap, and we see that Cedric is Cedric and Henley are helping Colin down into the tunnel himself. So they're they're giving him instructions. For anyone who doesn't remember, Colin is completely blind, so he needs a little bit of help. And Cedric gives a, a nice descriptive explanation of what he's supposed to do. He says, "Sit down, feel the top rung on the ladder with your right foot, and then once you've got that, you know you can start moving down." So I, first of all, I think it's great that the way that they do this. You know, they're they're basically explaining. Not just to Colin, but they're explaining to us how things are, how things work in this tunnel. You know that there there is a ladder that that you can use, and and you know for someone who is not that familiar, like like Colin, of getting into the tunnel. So so they're explaining to him, but while at the same time explaining to us how things work. And at this point, Colin just goes down pretty simply at that point with those instructions. And then Henley jumps in, and it, it, it looks to me that he jumps in a little too quickly. You know, <laughs> he must be standing on Blythe's head at this point, because he is is a little bit taller than than Blythe. <laughs> I love how he, last week when we were discussing with with when Roger and Mac got in, you know they they put their their hats in their jackets or or under their arms, but Henley does the exact opposite. He actually puts the hat on. You know, yes, I like I thought I liked that too. <laughs> Sorry, he, I like that. You know, the exact opposite of what everyone else does. Like, what's what's <laughs> you know what what what's more proper are you gonna do you have to hold on your hat or should you be wearing it i like the the fact that some do it this way and some do it that way i i don't think it'll, it'll be that effective for him to be riding the trolley with his hat on like that because it would probably obstruct his view of trying to look ahead maybe maybe he'll maybe he'll take it off in a few seconds when he gets down I, maybe he didn't want to just crumple up the hat maybe that's what it comes down to yeah he might not have if he's crawling down a ladder he wanted free use of both hands he didn't want to have to have a hat in one hand uh, you know right. and risk uh, slipping Correct. You know, he gives him. I, I also like the fact that he, so Cedric gives him his his uh, his little suitcase that he's holding. I love the fact that everyone's suitcases they all look different. You know, we don't have two suitcases or valises or or you know whatever they're carrying. None of them look the same. You know, and these are all handmade. You'd think that they would try to do that a little more of mass production. You know, of 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 the bags. You know, we're not talking about clothes. Clothes. I can understand that Griffiths is, is going to want to, uh, you know, have a little bit of diversity in the clothes because if everyone's wearing the same exact uniform, it's going to look very strange. But the, to make different types of bags for every one of them, that, that's above and beyond, in my, in my opinion. I, I mean, I, I commend it, but I think it, uh, it's a little, little too much. I wonder if that was a factor of just they only had X amount of this material, and so they had to get X amount of a different material, and they just they used what they had. Right. I mean, these also look look like intricate, you know, bags. You know, these are these are like uh, laptop cases. You know, <laughs> they're not they're, they're not little small. They're not wallet size. These, these are things. I mean, 
it, it makes me wonder what each of them are carrying. I mean, we know that they give them rations. We know that they all have compasses. I, I don't think they have clothes that they really are taking with them. You know, is it is it more just for 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 to, to add to the costume? You know that that you know if anyone looks at them, they they won't get suspicious that they're walking around without a, a suitcase. I I do wonder did every single person need a suitcase? I mean, I don't know if they are they is it for supplies or is it for blending in? I mean, did every single person walk around with a suitcase back then? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. <laughs> no, but I think maybe maybe it's because you have to keep your paper somewhere. You know. Hmm. You know, where, where are you keeping your passport? Where are you keeping, you know, the papers that you're allowed, that give you permission to, to go from one area to another? You know, would you keep all those in your pocket? I don't, I don't know. I, I, maybe if they're pretending to be businessmen, so it makes more sense that they're carrying a, a, a briefcase or a valise or something like that. No, it just makes me wonder. It, it, I, I, think, I think it's more for the costume, you know, to make it more believable. Mm-hmm. But you can go either way. could be that it also is because they do have things they need to carry with them. Don't know. At this, after Henley goes down, another guy just pops down. You know, they're they're, they're going down pretty quickly. They're, they're packing them in like sardines. Yeah, you know, I thought about that. I, is that not going to create a log jam down in the tunnel? Because you're right, as, as Donald Pleasant gets in, and then James Garner gets in, and then yeah, someone else is get. I mean, they're they're really not waiting for. It doesn't seem that they're waiting for the person who's got in before them even clearing the space at the bottom of the ladder. Right. And I'm wondering if they're going to end up having to have a bunch of people crouched down in the tunnel waiting to go instead of having them waiting up up top. Right. That's true. No, but the, the, we do also now that know that there are two empty spaces. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> Maybe they're, they're rushing them as, okay, there were two less people down there, so let's, let, let's start paying them in a little more. I, I think in the... In, in the original story, they they had a lot of them in the tunnel at the same time. Because in order to make this, this uh, escape effective, you do have to have a lot in the tunnel that are ready to go. Because it would be much more time-consuming waiting each time for someone to get through. You know, through this entire tunnel system. Because let's, let's say there are three trolleys. I'm just throwing out a number. I don't know really how many trolleys there are, but let's say there's three, three trolleys. Mm-hmm. You know, each trolley is 150 meters, for instance, or feet, right? So then you have to have at least six guys manning the trolleys because one on each end. So does that? So you have to have at least six guys down there. Right now, as far as we know, they don't have that many people there. You know, we know that that Hiltz, Roger, Mac, and Ashley Pitt are there. So you have four guys, and then you have whoever is in the the starting. Station. So now they're jamming three three new people in there. I mean, Colin is obviously not going to be able to help with that. But again, it, you know, it takes time to get from station to station. And if you, if the whole idea is you want to get two hundred fifty people out, and let's say you have uh, seven or eight hours of darkness to do so, you got to get them out pretty quickly. You got to get a guy out every minute, every two minutes, whatever it is, in order to to really be effective. So you do want to sure, have all three trolleys have to be moving at, at, at all times simultaneously. Correct, and and theoretically they have to move both directions because you have someone go down the trolley and someone has to pull it back. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's part of the the logistics of, of that also. So the the truth is, is with the number of people that we've seen, it doesn't seem as if they have enough people there. They 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 need even more that should be down there. Mm. No, that's interesting. We get a shot of uh, Hiltz pulling pulling the the rope, and he's pulling it pretty rapidly. You know, Roger's getting a ride of his life on that one. 
I, I love that, that, that Roger gets off of the trolley and you can see how dirty his jacket is from being on the trolley. You know, he's got like uh, <laughs> elbow patch marks, you know, from, oh no, sorry, not elbow patches, it's for, forearm. And at this point, you know, Wilkes, uh, Hilt says, uh, so Danny cut out, huh? He had no one to talk to before to, to mention this. <laughs> so he had to wait for Dan, for Roger to show up for him to say that. It's funny what you say about the uh, the dirty elbows, um, that they they made sure to have that. But I felt like everyone going through the tunnels, I felt everyone's hair was a bit too perfect and a bit too clean for going through an underground tunnel. It seemed that they the jackets got dirty, but the hair really stayed in place. There doesn't seem to be any dirt or grime or... or Anyone's hair messed up or anything like that? I guess, I guess that's the the, the uh, makeup and hairstyling uh, department <laughs> dealt with that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a very good point. That, you know, maybe maybe they cleaned it up so that there wasn't that much dust that was going to happen along the way. No, but I, I would think it would kick up dust because they're moving at a uh, relatively rapid speed. Sure, I mean, there's dirt in their in their eyes, up their nose. Keep yeah. make sure you keep your mouth closed. That's true. That's true. But if you hold if you hold your your bag in front of you, so you're you're somewhat uh, shielding your your face, right? Oh yes, that's true. <laughs> but the bags don't look uh, very dirty. <laughs> you know, there's there's no uh, bugs on the windshield there. We might have finally found the first lack of attention to detail in the entire movie. <laughs> there you go. That's true. That's true. Uh, so at this point, Roger tells uh, Hilt that yeah, Will, Willie took him up. He looks at his watch. You know, Roger is starting to get nervous with the whole. Uh, yes. You know, he he knows that time is of the essence here, and he knows that they're they're already behind schedule. You know, he goes Hilt's eye, and then he gets cut off, and Hilt's then just jumps up. You know, climbs up the shaft to to go check out the exit. Then Roger quickly realizes where he is and decides to, you know, send the the trolley back, which which is great. Like no one knows that that he got off the trolley. They they're waiting for the tap. You know the double tap, in order to mm-hmm. to know that he's he's off, and he's been off for a few seconds already. You, you, the question is, is whether they would feel that it's not moving anymore. You know he's reached the end, so they're they're not holding the slack or anything like that. You know right, I, but if they've been told that you know you don't pull it back till you feel that tap, right? That Roger in 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 his action, you know, in in the mode he's in of we've got to you know keep moving, actually slips up a bit and costs them a few seconds there. That's right. That's right. And then Hiltz climbs back up, decides to, to take the, the shovel and once again push a little bit up into the... Uh, it's strange talking about it because he's pushing up out of the ground as opposed to usually, you know, you push down. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, and he, you know, twists twist the shovel around a little bit and you see some dirt fall down. And then we, we go back to the first station where we see someone manning the pump. Then you see Henley and Blythe and the third guy who, who came down after them. And Henley starts explaining to Blythe what he needs to do. He says, remember, keep your head down and right. Henley gives the double tap, and then they, they pull Blythe through the tunnel. Again, I love the fact that they're, they're always holding onto the rope, constantly, you know, making, checking the, the slack the entire time. You know, I make mean, sure that, that doesn't that get rope. stuck along the way. Yeah, or, or even snap or break. I mean, it's, it's a rope. It's not, you know, a powerful, strong metal coil or something like that. You know, this is a rope that's being put under uh, a severe amount of work, it's going to be pulled back and forth hundreds and hundreds of times in a short amount of time. I mean, a rope could fray. Right. That's true. It makes me wonder where they get the rope from. <laughs> where did they steal <laughs> this rope from? You know, uh, because, you know, that next week we'll be discussing 
uh, even more rope. They, they they found a place to steal a lot of rope. I mean, think of it. They they had to have hundreds of feet of rope. That I wonder if they they had to make the rope themselves, or they were able to you know find a way to to steal it where no one would notice uh, that they've that somehow you know five six hundred feet of rope has disappeared. <laughs> yeah, some some uh, German army supply clerk has some explaining to do about what happened to all the rope that was in his storeroom two weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but but then the question is, is why would the camp have so much rope? Right. I mean, they they do have a rope or a wire, you know, making sure that people don't don't go into, you know, the area by the by the fence. But uh, no, that I, if I remember correctly, that's a much thinner wire. So, like, what would a camp this small need so much rope for? Unless at one point they were planning on maybe hanging everybody. So they needed to make sure they had enough rope for that. That actually was the thought that popped in my head as you were talking about it, yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only thing I can think of that someone would need so much rope in a prison camp, you know, in a POW camp. You know, it's not like they're going to give them rope to to go jump rope. No, and also, uh, based on our estimation, you know, if each trolley needs to go 150 feet, so you have to have a sturdy amount of rope to do that. You can't just tie rope upon rope upon rope, hoping that it's not going to pull apart at some point. Yeah, this can't be 17 different pieces of rope knotted together. Right. Uh, you can't trust that those knots aren't going to come undone. Exactly. And and also, when you see, at least here, when you see Henley giving slack on the rope, you don't see knots in the rope showing that, that it was, you know, that, that, that it was tied along the way. He also, his hand movement is, is very smooth. He's not, you know... He's not waiting for, for there to be a knot to come along or something like that. Right. Right. So, And so then Hiltz begins to try to, to dig a little further, reaches his hand up, and then get to see Roger pulling Mac down the down, down on his trolley, which, you know, Mac holds his, his bag the same way that uh, Roger, I guess he, he, he saw Roger do it and says this is an efficient way to do it. Yeah, I want to talk about how Mac, the, the few seconds they show of Mac uh, being pulled through, it... it it seemed to me that he's not quite so cool under pressure as Roger was. He looks behind him. Uh, it seems like he puts his face almost too close to the ground as he's being pulled along uh, there at like that last second. He seems like he's a little tense right now, and, and, and maybe he might be losing his cool a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense. Yeah, yeah, he keeps he keeps bending his head down. Maybe, maybe he's just taller than Roger, so he's afraid that he's going to bang his head. On, on something mm-hmm. along the way. No, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of practical reasons because Mac doesn't look like he's he's cracked or that he's close to cracking in in most of the movie. You know, it, I can understand how you can interpret uh, his facial expression when he's on the trolley that way. So that that is obviously a possibility. And then also when when he's coming out of the tunnel at the very very end of this minute, it looks as if he's laying his head on his uh, briefcase like a pillow type of thing yes you know making sure that okay my, but but that could that could explain what i said earlier that that maybe he's just making sure that he doesn't bump his head because his head is pretty high up the whole way through mm. so yeah, i think i think he's uh, my interpretation is is that he's he's more concerned that he's gonna bang his head at some point along the way and uh, the last thing you need right before you're about to make an escape is a, is, a, is a mild concussion <laughs> that's, that's not going to be very very effective to help you later on uh, during the escape. Yeah, and I I love the way that this entire minute has so many cuts in it. You know, the, the, they're they're show, they're trying to show us that there's so many things going on at the exact same time, uh, and it's so effective with that. You know, because you have you have shots of Hiltz, and you have shots of Roger, and you have shots of Mac, and you have shots of Henley, and you have shots of Colin, and you have shots of of uh, you know the trolley going through the the tunnel. 
you know, you have the, the original shot at the beginning of, of the minute where you see the, the, the four guys in the front tunnel. They, they do a great job of, of, of making it seem as if there's more activity in motion than there really is. And I think they do that very effectively. Yeah, I agree. And I think something else that I think is really effective in this minute is the music as well. Um, that you've got almost it's it's it sounds like it's almost the same song, but in in two different um, pitches, I guess. You've got one song is kind of high pitched, intense. Um, when Hiltz is digging up, trying to break through, uh, almost like it's maybe somewhat hopeful in a way. But then you hear what sounds like it's probably just about the same song, but in a lower pitch and slower and a bit more foreboding when they cut uh, to Blythe uh, starting his move into the tunnel. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I thought that that was very effective, the way that they used the music in this minute. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way that they, they use the music in this entire movie is amazing. Uh, sure. But you're right. You're right. I mean, it's, it's, there, there, are, there are scenes where you really can tell how much the, the music is, is helping keep things so effective sounding. You know, the, the way that the music goes up and down throughout the, the, this entire minute, but also throughout the entire movie, is, is so amazing to, to listen to. I mean, this is a soundtrack that, that you can listen to so simply because, you know, the tone keeps changing throughout the entire thing. It's not, it's, you know, a lot of, of typical uh, movie scores constantly reuse the same, the same sounds along the way. And what they do here is, is they're, they're able to, to branch out a lot, uh, with, with the way that they do the music here. I mean, Albert Bernstein does an amazing job on this, and I've said this so many times, and I'll keep saying it, that I, I can't believe that, that, that his score wasn't nominated, for, at least, for anything. You know, this, this movie, the only Oscar nomination it got was for film editing. I, 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 I actually have here, as one, as one of the things I wanted to say at some point this week, now... I, I've never seen any of the five movies that were nominated for Best Picture in 1963, so I can't specifically, you know, compare this to those five movies. Okay, I've seen all five. But so. how, okay, how was the? Okay, so then maybe you can answer this question: How was this movie not nominated for Best Picture? How did? I mean, I just, I just it kind of blows my mind. I think it has to do with the fact that it's one of the biggest criticisms that people have of the Oscar voters back then and still now is is that. You know, they, they don't feel that they're ever really in touch with what's really going on. You know, they, they, there's an elitism with the way that they make their decisions, both for nominations and for the, the winners in the end. So, I mean, personally, I, so you have Tom Jones, America, America, Cleopatra, How the West Was Won, and Lilies of the Field. America, America was, was, uh, is, is, happens to be a great movie about uh, the American experience, you know, of, uh, this, this immigrant family coming to America, and Ilya Kazan, you know, is is a known Oscar-baited director who's, you know, who won a few times and, and even and was nominated also. So I can understand why America, America would be there. Cleopatra was one of the big epics, even though it, it failed at the box office. You know, it's, it's still a very uh, flashy type of film, so I can understand why that was nominated. How the West was won has an all-star cast, even though it's, it's little stories about, you know, the, the, the creation of, of how people got to the West and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's more of a compilation than, than, than a uh, full, straightforward narrative movie. 
I think that had to, a lot to do with the fact that the way the cast was there, it was a very diverse type of cast of very well-known uh, Hollywood actors and actresses in the movie. And then you had Lilies of the Field, which, uh, you know, this is this is the year that Sidney Poitier won Best Actor for, for that role. He was the first uh, African-American winner as Best Actor. For, for his work in this movie. And, I mean, have you ever seen Lose the Field? No, I've never seen any of the other the five movies nominated. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. So, basically, it's about a, a black migrant worker who, who ends up at a at a farm with, I think, four or five German nuns and becomes their handyman and helps them out and stuff like that. So, again, that that, that is more of what was chosen for the social aspects of it. And then you have Tom Jones. Now, personally, I'm not a fan of Tom Jones. I know that there are a lot of people who... Who loved the movie? For me, it just never worked because of the the tone of the, the you know it's it's a it it's a historical story about a British peasant who becomes aristocracy. If, if I remember correctly, I mean it's been a very long time since I've seen it. So I mean, again, I can understand why all five of these movies were, were nominated. I again still can't understand why The Great Escape wasn't. I think it has more to do with the fact that it's seen as an action movie mm. as opposed to as opposed to a drama, mm-hmm. like none of the the five movies that I mentioned were are, are are action movies for me. Even before I saw all five of these movies, I still never understood it because The Great Escape is one of my favorite movies for for decades. And you know, when I looked at the other movies from this year, and I'm like, what? Why wouldn't they nominate The, the Great Escape? Now, the Golden Globes did nominate it. Mm-hmm. it. It actually was nominated for Best Picture. That that was its only nomination at the at, at the Globes. You know, it, it didn't win. And it was it was actually nominated for Best Picture as a drama, which is funny because we we just mentioned the fact that it's it's not necessarily perceived as a drama, even though it can be classified that way because of everything that it does. I mean, it, and and that they had eight movies that were nominated that year for that. You had The Cardinal, America, America. Captain Newman, M.D., Cleopatra, HUD, Lilies of the Field, The Caretakers, and The Great Escape. So I've seen seven out of eight of those. I don't think I've seen The Caretakers. And The Cardinal one. With, uh, that was, I believe, an Otto Preminger movie. That, 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 that's a three-hour Otto Preminger epic about a uh, Catholic priest you know, who's confronting bigotry and Nazism and you know, uh, a lot of other things that are going on at the time. So, uh, again, I... I I think they made a big mistake because I think this movie is much better than 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 a lot of these other movies that have been nominated either by the Oscars or the Golden Globes. You know, in retrospect, we we can't uh, we can question what they did, but we can't change <laughs> it. <laughs> Even though I'd like to, because I I do believe that this is the best movie of 1963. But that's my opinion. Most not everyone will agree with me on that. What can I tell you? You have anything else you want to say about this minute? The only thing I just wanted to say, uh, just uh, because he's such a big part of one of the movies I did, uh, a movie by Minute By, um, Donald Pleasance, of course, plays the president in Escape from New York. Uh, so always been a big fan of Donald Pleasance uh, based on that movie and a couple of other movies over the years that I saw. Uh, so just uh, always nice to see one of those character actors that you're a fan of uh, when they show up uh, in other things that you end up watching. So, you know, I spent a lot of time talking about him, of course, in Escape from the York Minute. Uh, so glad that he popped up in a couple of my minutes uh, that I got here on this one. Okay, that's great. And uh, which 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 performance do you think of his is better? Or do you want to not even go there? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm of course I'm I'm certainly partial to the Escape from New York performance. <laughs> no, just because he was in Escape from New York doesn't necessarily mean that you think that was his best performance. Yeah, that's true. But um, he, he is great in that. You know, he's uh, yeah. I mean, he's just you know he's 
he's really perfect in that role in Escape from New York where he's just, you know, appears to be this completely together stoic person and then just as over the course of the movie just completely loses his mind until that great climax where he uh, kills the Duke. All right, so you want to tell people once again how they can get in touch with you, Eric? Yeah, so Escape from New York Minute and Flash Gordon Minute, you can look either one up on both Facebook or Twitter. We have presences on there, and uh, always happy to hear from you. All right, and you can get in touch with us by contacting with us via Twitter. Our Twitter account is Great Escape MXM. Our Facebook group is The Cooler. Our website is thegreatescapeminute.com. And our email address is thegreatminute at gmail.com. So until tomorrow, tally-ho. Tally-ho!